0: Amen. Can we just bless the Lord tonight, church? How great is our God. Amen. How many of you are glad we serve a great and mighty God? Wow, wow! you could have done better than that. I mean, I serve a great and mighty God. Amen. Amen. I know you had a hard week and a long week, but our great and mighty God brought us out to his house tonight. Amen. To hear a word from Him, it's always great to see you here. I know the Lord has a word for us. I'm going to do a little intro, and then we'll go to prayer, and then go to the Word. But a couple weeks ago, I brought an introductory word to a series that I hope that we can use to fill out the rest of the year, which I've simply titled, The Powerful Names of God. And how many of you know that there is power in the name of the Lord? Amen? There's power over every unclean spirit there's power to move mountains, there's power to heal the sick, there's power to tear down strongholds, there's power to overcome the enemy, Uh, there's power to break every chain, there's power to go into the enemy's camp and take back that which he's taken from you, amen? You know, that's one of the things that my wife and I have purposed to do this year, to go into the enemy's camp and start taking back some of the things that He's taken from us, amen, uh, but, but I can only do that when I know who God is, amen, and I can only do that when I know who I am in God as well, but I want you to know that there is power to build, or power to bind, and there is power to loose in the mighty name of the Lord. There is divine power in the name and in the names of the Lord, because just like we sang, His name is above every other name, amen, amen. Greatest name that we can call on is the name and the names of God and the scripture tells us that everything in our life that has uh, the power to hinder us from being fulfilled from God must bow down at the mighty name of the Lord and at the mighty name of God and and that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. We're going to look at the powerful names of God. As we learned a couple weeks ago Proverbs 18:10 tells us that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Amen. It's not a weak tower, it's not a fragile tower. It's not a tower that the enemy actually, when we place ourselves in that tower and in the presence of God, the, the devil has no access. He can't topple that tower. He can't tumble that tower. He can't penetrate that tower, church. It's not a feeble tower or a frail tower. The word of God in the Hebrew tells us that the name of the Lord is a fortified fortress that we can run into and be safe. In the Greek, it also means that the name of the Lord is a high place or an elevated place, an exalted place, church. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that there's an exalted place that I can run to that there's an elevated place that I can go to that's higher than my struggles and higher than my troubles and higher than the circumstances or situations of life, a a high place, an exalted place that's above all of the things that the enemy would try to bring against us. Amen? You see, the reality is when we begin to call on the name of the Lord, we can be seated in heavenly places. When we begin to trust in the name of God and the the names of God, which are the character and the and the attributes of God, we can find ourselves seated in heavenly places, which are exalted places above all of the circumstances and situations of our life. Amen. There's a place that we can run to and be safe when we're afraid, when we're lonely. When we're suffering lack, when we're sick, when we're overcome, when we're troubled or tested, when we're lost, when we're wounded, when we're tempted even, the Bible says that there is a place that we can run to and be safe, amen? It tells us that there is a name that we can call on. In Psalm one sixteen four, David said, then I called on the name of the Lord and said, save me, save me, and he heard me and answered my cry. How many of you glad that we have a God that hears our cries? Amen? When we call on his name, he hears us. Call. And the Bible says that he answers us. So before I pray, I want you to know that there is a name that we can call on in every time of need that we face in life. There's a name that we can call on in every circumstance and situation that we might find ourselves in life. There's a name that we can call on when we need help, amen? And we learned that name. It was Jehovah Ezer, the God that helps us. When we find ourselves in need of healing or in need of provision or in need of peace or in need of forgiveness or in need of hope, and I can go on and on and on, Scripture reveals to us that there is a name that we can call on, And when we call on that name, when we call on that attribute of God, God hears us and God replies and responds in the like. When we call on Jehovah Rapha for healing, he responds by offering us healing. Amen? When we call on Jehovah's ear for help, he responds by offering us help. And that's what we're going to learn in the series that we go through over the next few weeks. We're going to look at the powerful names of God. The names that we can call on, the names that we can count on, and the names that we can trust in. You see, you can't always call on my name. I'm not always going to be there to answer. You can't always call on Pastor Darrell. He's not always going to, but there is a name that we can always call on, always count on, and always trust in. Amen? And that's what we're going to look at. Tonight we're going to start with Elohim, because it's his first name. Because it's the first name that he used when he introduced himself to the whole world, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at Elohim. But before we go there, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Amen? Just ask that he be with us. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in this place. We thank you that you have a word for us, a truth for us, a revelation for us, God, that will draw us closer to you that will help give us a better understanding of you, that can better empower us, Father God, to to have a deeper, more intimate, personal relationship with you, to understand the power that you have, the the attributes you have, the character that you have, Father God, that will help us, Father God, through life's journey and through life's path, through all the, the struggles and the troubles that we might encounter in life. Help us to realize tonight that there is always a name that we can call on, God name that's higher than every other name. We thank you, Father God, for those that have come tonight. And I pray as always that your anointing would be upon me and upon your people, God, that you would touch my mind, that you would touch my mouth, my words, my tongue. God, that you would touch my body. Give me the strength that I need tonight, Father God. Arrest every part of what I do and bring it under your control and the authority of your Holy Spirit. I pray the same for your people tonight, God, that there would be no disruptions, God, in their mind or in their thoughts, oh God, that you would give them a spirit of understanding that they might receive what you're speaking into their lives tonight, God. We praise you for the opportunity to hear from you tonight. We're careful to give you all the praise and glory, and everyone said, amen. Amen. When you are introduced to someone, what is typically the first thing that you learn about them? Their name. It's their name, especially their first name. When you introduce yourself to someone, you tell them your first name, and they usually tell you their name as well. When you go to conventions, when you go to conferences, when you go to certain business meetings or even to certain parties, you're given a name tag that says something like, hello, my name is, and real big, you make sure you write your name so everyone can see and know exactly who you are, right? It's the first form of introduction. It's the first form of identification that we offer and acquire from someone else. When a child is brought into this world, the very first thing assigned to that child is a name. The child may have sizes. They might have weights. They might have measurements and footprints and handprints on the birth certificate. But the most important identity of all and the distinguishing character of all is the child's name that has been assigned to them. Imagine a child or you going through life without a name, with no name on the, on the birth certificate. Well, I'm nobody. Well, that's what, you know, that's what the devil wants you to be as a nobody, but God's given us a name. Amen? But the reality is in the same way, according to Scripture, God himself identify, is identified by his names as well. And the first name that we're going to look at is the first name that's actually recorded in Scripture. And it is is the name of Elohim. The very first time that we're introduced to God, we're introduced to Him by name. And His name in the Hebrew is Elohim. And there's four characteristics or traits of this word Elohim. I doubt I'll get to all of them. Uh, Somehow I'll try to get all that info. But I know I'll get to at least three. Elohim in the Hebrew is Creator God. Is the creator God, the personal God, the restorative God, and the God who gives us rest. And I'll try to get to 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 all of those. I know I really plan on trying to get to at least three of those. But that's the first name that is recorded in Scripture by God. In Genesis 1-1, in the very first words of God recorded in Scripture, it says, In the beginning God, or in the Hebrew, in the beginning Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So the very first time that we're introduced to God, we're introduced to the creator God. In essence, at the very beginning of time, at the very beginning of Genesis 1-1, God puts on a name tag and says says to the world, hello, my name is Elohim. I am the creator God. And one of the primary reasons God introduces himself as creator is so that we can separate him from creation. It's so that we can understand that there is no one above him. That there is no one beside him. That there is no one like him. Amen? You see, the reality is there is no one above God. There is no one like God. There's no one even comparable to God. And so that's why he introduces. It's one of the reasons that he uses the word Elohim. So we understand that he is the creator and we are creation. That everything you see, everything you touch, everything you come in contact with was created by Elohim. And that's why he introduces himself that way, church. There's no one. He is not part of creation. He is the creator of it all. Please understand, contrary to secular opinion, which you'll see on the news and you'll hear from from different individuals, contrary to the false doctrine and the religion of pantheism, Elohim is not mother nature because Elohim created nature. You see, the religion of pantheism says that God is creation. The religion of pantheism that a whole lot of people believe that God is part of the universe. But the reality is according to scripture. And the truth is Elohim is not mother nature because Elohim created nature. He is not part of the universe because he created the universe and all that it contains. The Bible says including you and me. I want you to know God is not a tree. And he's not in the tree either. He is not a river and he's not in the river. He's not a butterfly nor in the butterfly. He is not a flower covered field. He's not the wind or the rain or even the air that we breathe. He is the creator of them all. Pantheism tells you that he is in all of those things. The only thing God is in is in you and me when we receive his spirit into our life. He is not equal to creation. He is not amalgamated into creation. He is not part of creation. He is the creator of every the Bible says and it's the first thing it's the first name and character and attribute that he uses to to distinguishes and distinguish himself to the world he is our creator and it's why we worship him the birds sing because God created them the crickets Sure, because God created them. The flowers bloom and, 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 and the trees of the field clap their hands because God created them. We worship him because he is our creator. Amen? God introduced himself as Elohim so we could know from the beginning that none of this was an accident. That nothing that you see in this world, that you and I, that, that creation was not an accident, that it was not some cosmic collision in the sky, that it was not mere happenstance, or by coincidence that all of these things just came into being. You see, the reality is there's individuals in this world that believe, boy, it was just a big old bang. It was just by coincidence and, and right timing that, that this all of what we see and all of what we are part of just came into being. But the Word of God tells us differently. It says, in the beginning, Elohim purposely created the heavens and the earth. And you and I are part of that creation, church, so God introduced himself to us as Elohim so we understand that it was not by uh, an accident or coincidence but rather by an ordained and orchestrated act of the powerful creator God. And listen, the reality is he introduces himself as creator from the very beginning to let us know if he can create the sun and the stars, if he can create the moon, if he can create the mountains, if he can create rivers, if he can create the beasts of the field, if he can do all those things, what can he not do for you and me? What can he not do for you and me if he is the creator of the universe? What can he not do for you and me? He made something out of absolutely nothing, church. And he can do the same exact thing for you and me. He is Elohim, creator God. There's no situation or circumstance that is so impossible in your life, so messed up in your life, that God can't make something out of it. And we're going to look at that as we go when I look further into the book of Genesis. But please understand, you exist because of Elohim. Not because of an accident. You move because of Elohim. You breathe because of Elohim. You blink because of Elohim. You touch, you smell, you taste, you see, you hear because of Elohim. Not because of some accident. Not because of some cosmic collision in the sky. Not because you crawled out of some swampy uh, piece of of water or pool of water on, on a desolate planet. Like evolution says, you were created on purpose, with a purpose, by Elohim. And it's the first name that we have because, listen, if you're an accident, nothing else matters. But if you understand from the beginning that you were created with a purpose and on purpose by Elohim, there's hope, amen? There's direction for your life. Listen, You have your being because of Elohim, our creator God. In Isaiah 43, 7, God says, I am the Lord your God over everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. To me, that's an amazing scripture because if you look at it three times in this short verse, God reminds us that he is our Elohim, our creator God. Which lets me know, listen, it lets me know if God has to tell us something three times, if he has to tell us three times, that means that there is the propensity for us to forget that we are the creation and he is the creator. It means that there is the propensity for us to forget that there is no one like him and no one beside him and no one equal to him, church. There's the propensity for us to forget that he created the heavens and the earth and he can do the same exact thing for me. But he tells us three times in the short verse that he is Elohim, church. He reminds us three times that we even have the capacity to read that passage of Scripture because He is our creator God. He created us. He formed us. And He made us, the Bible says, leaving no doubt that we have been created by a personal God who just wants us to know Him. Amen? It's what He wants more than anything. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to know his nature. He wants us to know his character. He wants us to know his attributes, church, because the more we know him, the more intimate we become with him. Amen? Listen, for those of you that are married, the, the more of the, the good characters and the good traits that you, that you discovered about your spouse, the more you, you fell in love with them, the more you, you became intimate with them. And you see, the great thing about God is He doesn't have any bad sides. He doesn't have any negative traits. He doesn't have any bad traits, church, like we do as humans. But the more we, the more we know Him by His nature and the more we know Him by His character, the more we know Him by His attributes, church, of, of love and kindness and gentleness and, and long-suffering, the more we know of his, his nature of holiness and justice and righteousness and truth, the more intimate we become with Him, church. The more intimate we become with him, the deeper that relationship becomes and and the more of his power is is made manifest in our life, church. Listen, if you want the power of God manifest in your life, get intimate with God. Get intimate with God. You can't stay out of, of relationship with God and expect his power to move in your life. You want to get you want you want the the power of God moving in your life. Get intimate with God, church, get intimate with his word, get intimate in prayer. But here in this passage, three times he reminds us that we are his workmanship, that we are his masterpiece, that we are his creation. Three times he reminds us that we're not an accident or a byproduct of biological evolution, church. We are his handiwork created in Christ for good works, the Bible says. Ephesians 2.10. So what that tells me is that to know him as Elohim means that he created me with a divine purpose and a divine plan. It makes it right clear. We are his workmanship, his handiwork created in Christ for good works. It tells me that God has a plan for me. It tells me that God has a purpose for me, amen. He introduces himself as Elohim, the creator God and the personal God, so that you and I understand that he knows the plan that he has for us. It's a plan to bless us and not harm us, to give us hope and to give us a future. Listen, I'm glad I serve a God that knows what he's doing in my life, amen. He knows the plan that I have for me. When I don't know what tomorrow holds, he knows exactly what tomorrow holds. He knows the plan that he has for us. It's to do good for us and not harm. It's to give us hope and to give us a future, church. To know him as Elohim means to know that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. That doesn't sound like an accident. That doesn't sound like some cosmic collision in the sky. That doesn't sound like some tadpole coming up out of the pool and turning into something else and something else and something else until poof, there's you and me. He was purposed with his creation. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. We were the crowning achievement of all creation, church. Not some byproduct. Of some biological evolution. And it's why he introduces himself to us as Elohim. To know him as Elohim means to know him as a distinctly personal God. Not a far off God. Not a distant God. Not a God that can't hear. But a God that hears when we call out his name. It's what scripture teaches us, church. Elohim is a distinctly personal God. God who is intimately acquainted with all of our ways, a God that knows my going out and my coming in, my my rising up and my lying down and my walking along the way. Elohim is a personal, distinctly personal God who walks with us and talks with us along life's narrow way. Amen, church? Remember, Elohim is the one that walked and talked with Adam in the cool of the day. The Bible says that He walked and talked with Adam in the cool of the day. It's who Adam knew God to be. A personal, intimate God. And he wants us to know him as the same way. That's some strange, far-off God that I can't call on, that I can't walk with, that I can't talk to. Listen, God, Elohim, is the only personal God in the universe. Only Every other religion does not have a personal God like Elohim, church. We have the only personal God that there is. And he wants the same thing with us, church. He wants a personal, intimate relationship with each and every one of us. Amen? So, so far we learned that Elohim is the only creator God. Elohim is the only personal God. And Elohim is the only restorative God as well. And I don't want to lose you here, but I want to give you a revelation, and I want to give you some truth. So you might have to put on your thinking caps, and you might have to ponder this for a little bit. But in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So in verse 1, here we are introduced, or, or here he is revealed as the creator God. But something else is revealed about Elohim in verse 2 that has just as much impact in our lives and just as much power and meaning in our lives as verse 1, and it's the fact that Elohim is restorer as well as creator. How many of you glad our God is a restorer, amen? He's a rebuilder, the Bible says, of broken walls and lives. But in verse 2, it says this. It says, now the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And the Hebrew phrase for formless and void is tohu wabahu. I don't know if I wrote that up there or not. Yes, I did. So if you want to write that down. Tohu wabahu. And it refers to a wasteland. In the Hebrew language, it even refers to a garbage dump. It's an uninhabitable place. It is a desolate place, void of life. It is even a destructive place. And here's where I don't want to lose you or get too theological. But, as I, but in Isaiah 45:18, we read that God did not create a wasteland in verse 1. Because how many of you know God does everything great and God does everything good? God doesn't make any mistakes when he he creates creation. So in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, he didn't create a wasteland. Because the word of God says, thus says the Lord Elohim in Isaiah 45, 18, who created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create a waste place, it says, but formed it to be inhabited. And here's where I hope I don't lose you. Because the reality is between verses 1 and 2, something happened in the supernatural and even in in the natural. Between verses 1 and 2, the earth got messed up. Between verses 1 and 2, the earth was disturbed and the earth was disrupted. Somewhere between verses 1 and 2, creation was tampered with and creation was corrupted, which is exactly what happened when Satan fell from heaven to the earth. When Satan was cast down from the heavens, he was cast down onto the earth and he made the earth an uninhabitable place at the moment that his foot touched the ground. Because how many of you know when Satan touches anything, he makes a mess out of it? When Satan touches anything, he corrupts it, and he disrupts it, and he disturbs it, church. But it's exactly what happened when Satan fell to earth when he was cast down from the heavens. And again, I don't want to get too theological, but I'm trying to give you some evidence here. In Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, both of those passages or chapters tell us that Satan rebelled against God. You know that story. Pride rose up. Within Lucifer, who is Satan. And the Bible says that he wanted to be like God, but he didn't want to be equal to God, he wanted to be God. And so he recruits one-third of the heavenly host, and he wants to overthrow the king of glory, the Lord strong and mighty. But just like that, God says, no, 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 Lucifer, and he casts Lucifer and one-third of the heavenly host out of heaven down onto earth, church. And it's exactly what happened when he came down to earth, church. When that happened, the earth became covered in darkness. The earth became an empty wasteland. The earth became a garbage dump, the Hebrew language tells us. The planet became uninhabitable and desolate and destructive according to isaiah read those chapters and i pause again because how many of you know when you give satan access to your life he'll make a mess out of it when you give satan access to your mind he'll make a mess out of it even though god created us to have a great mind and a and a perfect mind when you allow satan room to roam in your mind he'll make a mess out of it when you allow satan to roam around in your mouth he'll make a mess out of it church When you give him access to roam around in your mouth, you know it turns into a garbage dump, amen? When you allow uh, sin and Satan uh, to to roam about in your mind or have access to your mind, it turns into a garbage dump. And you begin to wonder where in the world them dirty, filthy thoughts coming from? Because we've allowed him to to touch the accesses of our mind, church. The reality is... When we give him access or sin room to roam in our life, it turns our life into a wasteland. It'll turn our marriage into a wasteland. It'll turn our family, our finances, our businesses into a wasteland. And it's what happened when Satan fell to earth. He made a mess of God's creation, church. Because the reality is when Satan touches anything... It turns into a mess. So I'm just trying to show you what happens. But thankfully, how many of you are grateful when you look at verse 2 that there's a second part to that? That the Spirit of God, it says, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. You see, the reality is the Spirit of God was hovering over it all. No matter what mess the devil made, no matter how much he tried to tinker with it, no matter what Satan and one-third of the heavenly host did with the planet, the Bible tells me, but the Spirit of God was hovering. And the Spirit of God was watching. And the Spirit of God was moving. The Spirit of who? The Spirit of Elohim. The, the Creator God and the Restorative God, the Bible says. And the reality is He does the same exact thing for us. Listen. If the earth were a mess and it was, became void and, and it became tampered with and it became corrupted by, by the devil... The Bible tells me that as soon as Elohim opened up his mouth, the restorative and the creative power of of who he was was loosed upon the earth and everything was made new. Everything was made new at that point. As soon as he opened up his mouth, he loosed the, the creative and the restorative power of who he was over the earth and all things were made new. And the reality is Elohim does the same exact thing for you and me. He restores us. When sin touches our life, when sin makes a mess out of who we are, he restores us, church. When Satan comes into our life, he tries to take the beauty of God's ultimate creation away. When he takes the masterpiece of each and every one of us away and tries to turn them into wastelands through sin, Elohim is there to restore us and to make all things new, church. The truth is, listen, I don't want to lose you in this. But the reality is it doesn't matter the size or the severity of the mess you and I make in our lives. It doesn't matter about the size or the severity of the mess that we might find ourselves in, church. The word of God tells me that the spirit of Elohim keeps hovering. The spirit of our restorative God keeps watching and keeps moving until all things are made new in our lives, church, just like it was with the prodigal son. And here's how I hope you get the understanding. What brought brought the prodigal son to a wasteland? What brought him to this uninhabitable place? What brought him to a garbage dump? What brought him to a pig pen? It was the sin of pride. It rose up in his life. He was living in his master's household filled with blessings the way God created his life to be and our life to be, but pride rose up, and it led him to a wasteland. It led him to a pig pen. It led him to a a garbage dump, literally, church, but thank God the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the pig pen. I hope you understand the awesomeness of this. The spirit of our restorative God was was watching every move that he made. He was was moving upon the deep, dark recesses of his soul until he came to his senses, the Bible says. And he returned to a, a place of righteousness at his father's house, and all things were made new. You see, the reality is it doesn't matter what mess you're in right now. I'm telling you that the spirit of Elohim is hovering. And the spirit of Elohim is watching. And the spirit of Elohim is moving even when we can't see him moving. The prodigal son had no clue what Elohim was doing, but he was hovering. He had no clue what was going on in the supernatural, but Elohim was was moving. The father was crying out and the father was praying and the father was was asking Elohim, calling out his name. Restore my son. Restore my son. Make all things new. Listen, if you've got a child that's living in a pig pen, you better start calling on Elohim. Because he's the one that has the power to restore. He's the one that's hovering over the wastelands of our life. He's the one that's hovering over the pig pens of our life. He's the one that's hovering over all those messed up areas of our life. And he's not afraid to get involved. If we have children that are lost, we have to trust and call on the name of Elohim. Because he is the one that can restore us and make all things new. Amen, church? Listen, I hope you understand the awesomeness of that. How many of you are grateful that the Spirit of Elohim hovered over your wasteland sometime in your life? Hovered over the wastelands of my life, hovered over the pig pens of my life. There's some of us that have ran away as far as we could into the darkest recesses of this world thinking we can get away from God. But the Spirit still hovers, and the Spirit still watches, and the Spirit still moves. Amen? Because that's how powerful he is, and that's the nature that he has. He is our restorative God. He brings us, church, out of our empty, messed up places, our, our desolate places, and he brings order into chaos. He brings about redemption, and he brings beauty back to his creation, back to you and me, back to that which sin and Satan messed up. Listen, before Jesus Christ, we were all in wastelands, Amen? But somewhere along the way, that spirit restored us, brought us to our senses, and made all things new in our life. Amen? It's what happened on the earth in Genesis 1, 2, 1 and 2. It's what happened in our life as well. Amen? And it happened because he is Elohim, because he is the restoring God, the restorative God. He's the one that can turn a mess into a miracle. How many of you are that miracle? I am. Amen? He's the one that can turn darkness into light. He's the one that can turn the desolate recesses of our souls into the fertile fields of growth. He's Elohim, the strong creator and restorative God. Amen? So he is creator and he is restorer. And he's the personal God. Another truth we need to learn about Elohim is that that when he created, he commissioned mankind at a higher level than all of the rest of creation. When the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit got together and said, let us make man in our own image, let us make him in his likeness, it was Elohim, plural. Elohim is plural. Elohim is a representation of the triune God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just one of them that said, we're going to make man. It says, let us. The triune nature of Elohim said, let us make man in our image. Let us make him in our likeness. So please understand what that means. It means that when Elohim, plural, like I said, the triune God created, he didn't ask the flowers to be his image. He didn't ask the beasts to be his image. He didn't ask the fish swimming in the sea to be his image. He didn't ask the birds that are flying in the air to be his image. He didn't ask the cattle roaming across the ground to be his image. Only humanity was given the great and awesome privilege and capacity to mirror God. There is no one or nothing in all of creation that's been given the privilege or the capacity to mirror God except mankind, except humanity. Except you and me. We are the only ones that were given the great and awesome privilege and capacity, the ability to mirror the character and the nature of God. We were the only ones granted the opportunity and the privilege and the capacity to be a vessel, church, of His character and His power and His glory. That's you and me. We're the only ones that have the capacity to be a vessel of His glory, and that's what we're supposed to be. And when you know him as Elohim, you take care of who you are. When you know him as the creator God, when you know him as the restorative God, when you know him as the personal, intimate God, you understand the awesome privilege and responsibility that we have to be a mirror of God, to be a vessel of his glory, to be a vessel of his character, to be a vessel of his kindness and his patience and his love and his long-suffering, to be, to be a vessel of his faithfulness. To be a vessel of his humility, to be a vessel of his righteousness, church. To be a vessel of his power and his dominion and his authority, church. It's an awesome privilege we have to, to be considered a vessel of God's glory. But it's exactly who we are. Vessel of his glory. And every day that we get up and every day that we walk out there, we better understand that. And we better, we better make sure in our prayer time that we understand God, Elohim, thank you for making me that vessel, but give me the strength and give me the power to carry your glory, to carry your grace, to carry your mercy, to carry your character through my life, to carry it to the workplace where we often don't want to go, to carry it in the car when we're stuck in the middle of traffic, to carry it every place we go. We're to be vessels of honor Profitable to the Master, fit and ready for every good work. We were created in Christ. We are His workmanship. Created in Christ for what? For good works. For good works. That's exactly what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to be a vessel of good works, a vessel that carries around the character and the nature of Christ everywhere that we go. Listen, our words should carry the character of Christ, our mind should carry the character of Christ. But my whole point is simply this when we begin to understand that name the nature that's attached to it and the characteristic that's attached to it and the attributes that are attached to it church it just changes who we are amen listen other every other creation can testify of God's majesty i said it earlier the birds that sing the flowers that bloom The trees of the field that clap their hands. The crickets that chirp. The thunder that roars. They can all testify of God's greatness and testify of his glory and testify of his majesty, church. The stars that twinkle the rain that pours, the sun that shines, the moon that glows, they can all testify. That's it. They can testify of God's greatness and testify of God's majesty and testify of of his, his wonder church. But only mankind can mirror him. Only you and I can carry his image. Only you and I have been stamped with his image and stamped with his likeness. Listen, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but it says, he said, let us make man in our image. Let us make him in his likeness. And when we were created, guess what he stamped us with? He stamped us with his likeness. Stamped us with his image. He stamped us with his nature and his character and he made us vessels to carry his glory. No other creation can do that. No other creation can carry the glory of God within them or the nature of God or the attributes of God or the dominion of God or the authority of God within them. It's only you and me. Only mankind can mirror him, church. We're stamped with his image and when you and I become personally and intimately acquainted with him, with Elohim, your life will change. Your choices will change. Your decisions will change. Your thoughts will change. Amen? When we can grab hold of the fact that the, the mighty ones of heaven, the triune God, uh, that the, the Elohim fashioned us and formed us and made us. When we understand that we are his workmanship, created by God with a plan and our purpose, we will live our lives differently. When we allow what we've heard so far this evening to sink down into the recesses of our soul, it'll change the choices we make. It'll change the speech. It'll change our thoughts. It'll change our behavior. It'll change how we carry ourselves and what we carry as well because he's Elohim. Listen as I wind this down. The very first time God opened his mouth in scripture, the very first time Elohim spoke, spoke, creation came into existence. He spoke, the Bible says, and darkness became light. He spoke and the waters of the universe separated. He spoke and dry ground appeared. He spoke and vegetation and seed-bearing plants began to appear. He spoke and there was night and day. He spoke and a moon and a sun were created. Elohim opened his mouth and all of creation sprang forth out of nothing from a desolate, uninhabitable wasteland. He spoke and fish filled the sea. Like a giant aquarium. He spoke and birds filled the air. He spoke and livestock began to wander across the earth. And so it was, the Bible says, and it was good. Very good because of Elohim, our creator. Because how many of you know everything God does is good? Amen? It's not just good, it's very good. That's what he says, very good. Especially after he created us. He said it was very good. It was good, but it wasn't good enough. Because until the point that he created us, there was no one to carry his likeness. There was no one to be a vessel. There was no one to carry or move forth with his authority and his dominion. But as soon as he stamped us, it was very good, the Bible says. And you see, the reality is, it's very good when you're out there being his likeness. Far too often, we're like the birds, far too often, we're like the cattle. Far too often, we're like every other part of creation. All we do is testify. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. All we do is talk, but we don't live. All we do is talk, but we don't carry. The reality is, we were commissioned to be vessels of God's glory. We were commissioned... To be vessels of God's power and dominion over every force of darkness that's out there in the world. We were commissioned to be exactly who He created us to be in His character and His nature, but far too often we're just like the birds. All we do is sing. And we don't carry. We don't carry the vessels. Like we're supposed to, church. The reality is, listen to me, the most important part of the lesson. For five days Elohim spoke. For five days creation came forth from the word of Elohim's mouth. His words created the entire universe. But Elohim reserved his breath for you and me. He spoke words and created the universe. But he breathed his breath and created mankind. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And I preached that not too long ago. And man became the vessels for the very breath and glory of God. And if we could just grasp that. Vessels of the very breath and glory of God. Please remember what happened. I preached this not too long ago. God took a pile of dirt worth $3.89. And he made it priceless. Made it priceless. He made it wonderful. He made it awesome. He made it amazing. He made it into a masterpiece, the word of God tells us, church. And I want you to know tonight that no matter what you look like, no matter what you sound like, no matter if your face is freckled or fine, No matter if you're tall or short or wide or skinny. No matter if you're 12 or or 82, church. No matter the color of your eyes or the color of your hair or the color of your skin. The spirit of Elohim wants you to know that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. You were not an accident. You were an orchestrated act of Elohim, the creator God. And he created you for a divine purpose. To be a vessel of his glory and a vessel of his honor. And I don't care who you are. Every morning when you look in the mirror. And you don't do it in an arrogant way. And you don't do it in a prideful way. You look at whoever you are in that mirror. And you say, thank you, Elohim. That what I see was fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you that you have turned me into a vessel of honor. That you have turned me into a vessel of your glory. That you have stamped upon me your image and your likeness. No matter what this world might say, I know that Elohim, through him, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully. Amen, church? Amen. You were fashioned and formed. You were given life by the strong and mighty creator Elohim. And he wants nothing more than to have a personal, intimate relationship with his creation. With you and me. Amen. I was going to stop there, but I still have a couple minutes. Can I keep going? Because I want to do the the God who gives us rest and I'll be able to finish. How many of you are grateful for Elohim? The creator God, the personal God, the restorative God but he's also the God who gives us rest. And I didn't think that I'd have the time to do this, so I'm just going to cover it real quick. But it tells us that on the seventh day after he created man, and stamped us with his image and said it was very good, the Bible says on the seventh day he rested. His work was done. He rested in his completed work. He looked at it all and said, it's very good. And he rested in his completed work how many of you know there was nothing left undone at the end of day six there wasn't another tree that he had to plant there was not another cow that he had to give birth to there's not another not another bird he had to throw up into the sky or a, a fish he had to throw into the sea there wasn't another river that had to be dug out there wasn't another mountain that had to be molded he finished what he did started and he, he rested in that completed work. And I hope you understand where I'm going with this. We too can rest in the completed work of Elohim in our life. We can rest in the fact that he is creator. We can rest in the fact that he's our personal God, not a far off God. We can rest in the fact that he's a restorative God and that he hovers over every mess that I find myself in. We can rest in the fact that no matter where I'm at, he's hovering and moving and watching, Amen. And that his goal and desire is to make all things new and to bring us to where we need to be. We can rest in the fact that that the work has been done. And what's it been done through? It's been done through Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross, even Jesus himself, part of the Trinity, part of the triune God, some of the last words Jesus spoke when he was hanging on Calvary's cross was what? It is finished. Finished. There was nothing else he had to do to, to acquire our righteousness. Nothing he had to do in order to re- reconnect us with the Father. Nothing else that he had to do to, to, to wash away our sins. Nothing else he had to do to give us access to the Father. Nothing else he had to do to restore us. He said, it's finished, church. And, the, and here's what I'm, I'm trying to tell you, that Elohim is that restorative God. And we can rest in the fact that it's finished. That that when we go through life and we're we're going through the struggles and we're going through the difficulties, we can rest in the fact that he's made a way. Amen? He's made a way through Jesus Christ. We can rest in the fact that there is a name that we can call on in the middle of every circumstance and situation we might be facing. Listen, when I'm sick and going through, we can find rest in the fact that he's Jehovah Rapha, the one that heals us. When I need help, I can rest in the fact that he is Jehovah Azir, the one that helps me. You understand what I'm saying, church? Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? i give you rest. He couldn't give us that if he wasn't Elohim. He couldn't give us that if he was not creator God, the only creator God, the only personal God, the only restorative God, and the only God that gives us rest. Look at all of the other religions of the world, and you can't find rest in any of them because it's all on works. It's all on works. Man. But Jesus completed the work. Amen? Jesus completed the work. That's why we can find rest. So how many of you are thankful for rest? Amen? How many of you learned a little bit about Elohim this evening? How many of you want to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with Him? I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet. And here's how we're going to pray. There may be somebody here tonight that says, man, I, I'm in a mess. Made a mess out of this or made a mess out of that. I've got a mess going on in my marriage or a mess going on in my business. And maybe it's not even because you did it. But there's, maybe there's a messy area in your life. I want you to know that right now the Spirit is hovering I want you to know that right now the spirit is moving and the spirit is watching and the spirit's goal is to restore and to make all things new in those areas so here's what I want to commission you to do please start using this name in your prayer time please start recognizing those areas of your life and find rest in the fact that the spirit is hovering you might not see him but I promise you he's moving amen I promise you that he's watching, and I promise you that he's hovering. It doesn't matter. Listen, it amazes me when I think about that. There he was right over the pig pen. There he was right over the pig pen. The stench didn't bother him. The mess didn't bother him. Because why? His creator God. Restorative God. The personal God. So we're going to pray, God, we just want to be more personal with you to have a more intimate, deep relationship with you and to understand your name so it can change the way I live. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this evening. God, I thank you that your spirit is in this place. I thank you, Father God, the, the lesson that we learned tonight and, and hopefully the revelation that has come forth in, in regards to the fact that you are a creator, God, that, that, that because you created the heavens and the earth, there's nothing in our life that you can't handle, God. You have the power to do incre- incredible things in our life. You made something out of nothing, so why can you not make something out of the, the struggles and the troubles that we're going through? I thank you, Father God, that you are a personal God. You're not a far-off God, a distant God, a hands-off God. You're a personal God. You're not far off, and you're not too far that you, you can't reach down and, and meet our needs and, and touch us and, and reach out to us close enough to hear our cries and hear us call out your name. I thank you that you're a personal God, and I pray that, that you would help us to, to grow closer to you, to become more intimate with you through your word and through prayer and through, through fellowship and through worship and through any other means that we might uh, use to, to just become more intimate with you, God. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just fix up those messed areas of our life, just like darkness covered over the earth, and the impact of Satan turning it into a wasteland, God and I pray that you would just that you would that you would just uh, intervene. That you would bring life to those areas and light to those areas, God. That you would just restore to those those areas or life that need to be restored to a, a right place and a righteous place, God. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to to be the vessels that you have commissioned us to be. God, it's one of my deepest prayers tonight that we not just be like all of the other creation and just testify with our lips, God, but that we would demonstrate with our life that we are vessels of your glory and vessels of your power and vessels of your dominion and vessels of your, your authority, God. You've given us divine authority over every unclean spirit and all the dark areas of life, God. And I pray that we would find ourselves in such a place that we would be able to carry that everywhere that we go to the workplaces, God to the strange places and the familiar places, God, to the, to the highways and the byways, God, into our families, into the schools, wherever it might be, God, help us to understand and realize that you have stamped your image and your likeness upon our life, that we are to be bearers of that image, that we are supposed to be mirrors and reflections of who you are, God, and the, the character traits that you have. Let those be seen in us, God, Let us carry them as as honorable vessels, God, everywhere that we go. And God, for those of us tonight that are disturbed, for those of us that can't find rest in our mind, rest for our bodies, rest in our spirits, rest in our marriage, wherever it might be, God, where there seems to be chaos and confusion going on in our lives, help us to be still and know that you are God. God. That we might find rest for our souls. Help us to rest in the fact that it is finished. That we don't have to struggle in our own strengths and our own abilities and our own knowledge or wisdom or, or contacts or power or influences, God. But to just rest in the fact that you rested because the work was done. Let us find rest in the fact that Jesus said it was finished and he did everything that he needed to reunite us with you, to bring us into right standing with you, God. Help us to understand your name, Elohim, better. So it would change our lives and change our speech and change our thinking and change our marriages and change our household and change our relationships. Most of all, that it would change our relationship with you, God to be one that is more intimate and personal than it's ever been. God, we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory for speaking into our lives tonight. We give you the praise for it in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Can we just bless him tonight, church? Thank you for your patience and let me finish that out. God bless you as you go, in Jesus' name.